0: From the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, our scripture reading.
1: The peace of God be with you. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. And said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and I put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing You may have life in his name.
0: I'm pretty sure you've heard that scripture read before many, many times. And I'm pretty sure that almost every one of us can deliver a sermon on that scripture. And if you could deliver a sermon, I want you to come up and start the process. Who would be the first person to come up and start preaching? Because we've heard it over and over and over again. When I was reading the scripture for the preparation of this meditation, I wanted to focus on the purpose of John's Gospel, which he gave at the end of the Gospel, that there are many things that Jesus did that are not written in this book, he says. you may have eternal life. That's the purpose of John's gospel. And that will ring through my mind until the day I die, because it was a portion of the gospel of John that we use when we go out on what we, on what we called evangelical campaigns. We leave our homes, and we go to a town, and just evangelize the town for that day. I need to develop my idea for the message, everything switch. And when that happens to a pastor, it's not because the pastor does not want to pursue the first thing that came to his or mind. It's because God, the Holy Spirit, wants you to do something else that will touch somebody on that day. Because when we prepare a message, it's not about us. It's about our God and to glorify God. And so the focus of the message that the angels of God put in my heart is about doubts. Doubting. Frederick Buchanan in his book, Wishful Thinking, says, Give me the benefits of your convictions, if you have any. But keep your doubts to yourself. For I have enough of my own. You can give me the benefits of your conviction, but please keep your doubts to yourself. Because truth be told, I have many of my own. As we approach this topic, there are several things we need to understand up front. Number one, many people think doubt is the opposite of faith. But it is not. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. Unbelief refers to a willful to a willful review, refusal to believe. While doubt refers to inner uncertainty. not quite certain about what's going on. Two, we can say that many people think doubt is unforgivable. But it is not. God doesn't condemn us when we question him. For example, Job and David, King David, Repeatedly questioned God, but they were not condemned. And the reason is God is big enough to handle all our doubts and all our questions. That's the God we serve, the God who is big, awesome, and wonderful enough to handle all the questions we have and all the doubts we we display. Three, many people think struggling with God means we lack faith. But that is not true because struggling with God is a sure sign that we truly have faith. If we never struggle, our faith will never grow. We need the challenges of life to sustain us, to help us grow our faith. So if you sit around and you're struggling with God, you have all these questions, you have some doubts, you're not condemned. It's okay. You have a God who understands. How many times have we sang the hymn, A mighty fortress is our God? And if you, if you look at the, the words of that hymn, they are powerful. And nobody without faith in God will write those words for us to sing them every now and again and be lifted up. The hymn was written by Martin Luther, and we suppose he never questioned God. No, he has a strong faith. He never questioned God. But then you read what he wrote one time and said, For more than seven days, he says, Christ was wholly lost. I was shaken by desperation and blasphemy against God. Yes, my friends, he doubted. And many, many people of faith have doubted God one time or the other. Oh, in today's scripture passage, we find that kind of faith struggle even among one of the twelve disciples of Jesus Christ. Thomas. Here is a man who seems to be a disciple for a time like this because we live in an age that questions everything, an age where everything is being questioned. Perhaps, my friends, we can learn something from Thomas about how to handle our questions and our doubts. As Christians, what a couple of weeks for the disciples of Jesus Christ. Everything happened so fast. Too fast for them. Especially in a period of time that things were supposed to be slow. Everything happened for them so fast. Fast. this moment referred to in the scripture passage from the gospel of john the disciples were meeting behind locked doors thinking about how they will continue their life what is the next chapter for them and in the midst of their confusion in the midst of their uncertainty jesus came says the scripture and stood among them. Just picture it, my friends. You know, we read it at times, but we don't, we don't visualize it to see exactly what was going on. I mean, just imagine you have a powerful leader killed, crucified, by those who have authority, And you are left by yourselves. It was not a prayer meeting. It was to question themselves. Why did we follow him? Did we ever know this would be the end? Because at that time, they did not know there would be another beginning for them. And then, Jesus came and stood among them, and he gave them a salutation that they would understand quickly. He says to them, peace be with you. When was the first time Jesus said those words to them that would bring back the feeling that this is Jesus? If you go back to John chapter 14, Jesus had said to the disciples, let me go so I can send the Holy Spirit to be with you and to be in you. And then he concluded that passage by saying, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world give do I give unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So they knew straight away That this was Jesus. My peace I give to you in chapter 14. And in chapter 20, he says to them, peace be with you. Let us examine the passage of Scripture in front of us because there are so many areas that we can touch on this morning when we look at John chapter 20. For instance, verse 19, we, we notice his entrance because the Scripture says, When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He said to the disciples, peace be with you. At first they were afraid, but when he showed them his hands and his side, they rejoiced. Jesus was alive. Mary had told them the truth. They may have been doubting when Mary told them that Jesus had risen from the dead. They could see him with their own eyes. This was the most wonderful news imaginable for the disciples. Oh, they were afraid, but then the master is with them now. And the master is saying to them, peace be with you. And the master had already said to them, my peace I give to you, not as the world give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Oh, my friends, they were afraid, but now Jesus is with them and he's giving them his peace. And that's the entrance he made. Secondly, the evidence. Because in verse 20, the scripture says, after he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. They needed evidence. They were doubting also. Is it going to happen? Are we going to see him again? Is he gone forever? Oh, he entered, my friends, and he gave them the evidence and the where a little bit, says the scripture, they were rejoicing. How many of us would not rejoice at that moment in time in our lives? After what happened on Good Friday? After what happened on Easter Sunday? And now, we have renewed confidence that Jesus is alive. Amen? Renewed confidence that Jesus is alive. And then, Jesus started a new chapter for them. He entered. He gave them the evidence. And now he's enlisting each one of them. He enlists each one of them. Because listen to what the scripture says. In verses 21 through 23, it says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. What do you get in, the, in those verses? Because something new is taking place for the disciples of Jesus Christ. He's enlisting each one of them. He's commissioning each one of them. Because he says to the disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. What does that mean? My friends, it means they have a change in their status. They have a change. The commissioning is taking place. He sent me, I'm sending you. And from that moment, from that moment, they were no longer disciples of Jesus Christ. What do you think they became? If you don't tell me, I'm not going forward with the message. (laughs) What do you think they became? From that moment, says your preacher, they were no longer disciples of Jesus Christ. What were they? Pardon? They were apostles. They were now apostles of Jesus Christ. Who is an apostle? First, who is a disciple? A disciple is a follower, somebody who is learning, okay? Who is an apostle? An apostle is a sent messenger. Here Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So from that moment, there was a change in their status from disciples to apostles, They are now sent messengers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, secondly, what did Jesus do? The scripture says that Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Because, my friends, we cannot be disciples or apostles in an effective way, serving God without the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. So as soon as Jesus sent them to go into the world, Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And now, my friends, they have power to do something for the Lord. Every one of us, earlier we prayed for the volunteers of our ministries in the church, every one of us, We do what we do because of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The disciples now, apostles of Jesus Christ, did not miss that. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive, receive that power. Receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, my friends, the disciples were now apostles. No longer were they just learners. Now they are messengers responsible for carrying the message of salvation to the far corners of the world. The apostles were to continue the ministry of Jesus and they were to become his voice, his hands, and his feet. And that's who we are, my friends. We are to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ. Oh, receive the Holy Spirit, each one of us. And this is significant. John, the author of the Gospel Beham his name, wanted his readers to know that Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit into the disciples who are now apostles. In the same way God breathed life into Adam, the first humankind. Oh, we need the Holy Spirit. Let nobody fool you. There is no church that is effective without the Holy Spirit. And when I say no church, I mean no individual Christian. Because you are the church. I am the church. We cannot be effective without the Holy Spirit. He enlisted each one of them and sent them out to be messengers. Then we have an explosion in verses 24 and 25. Oh, there is always something when you are doing it for the Lord. Because the scripture says, but Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. Oh, Thomas, you're good. You're good. It was this same guy who in chapter 14 When Jesus was talking about going to the Father, and then this guy Thomas said to Jesus, how can we know the way? You remember that in John 14? And then Jesus gave a revelation. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God bless Thomas for his questions. If he had not asked the question in chapter 14, we would not have known that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And now he says to the other disciples, Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know what you guys are saying. Yeah, that's fine. I, I want to prove it myself. God bless him. He wants to prove it himself. Thomas was a realist, he had been hurt and disappointed. He had expected so much from Jesus, then to watch him die on the cross like a common thief was too much for Thomas to bear. He had his hopes dashed once. Now, he wanted to be careful because he didn't want to set himself up for another letdown. don't blame him. We have to admire Thomas, my friends, for being so honest with his doubts. I was with him. He disappointed me. And now you guys are telling me he came? He showed you guys? I need to see for myself. He just could not believe without seeing Jesus for himself. Most of us go through those moments of doubts, don't we? We go through those moments of doubts. But after that explosion, we have an encounter. In verses 26 and 27, because the scripture says, a week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Amen? Do not doubt, Thomas, but believe. Oh, my friends, this is the finger here so that your prayers are answered. No. No. not doing that anymore. He did it for Thomas to prove to each one of us that he's capable of doing it. He did it for Thomas so that he would not doubt anymore because it was after all that that to end this portion of the scripture, we have an acknowledgement because in verses 28 and 29, the scripture says, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. My friends, that's the acknowledgement. My Lord and my God, Thomas, no more doubting. Thomas, I've seen it all. Thomas, now believe and demonstrated his faith and say, Yes, you are not only my God, you are also my Lord. This morning, my friends, from this acknowledgement, do you think that Thomas is still doubting, or is he now a believer of the risen Lord Jesus Christ? Doubt does have its usefulness. Deep doubt is often the guide to an even deeper faith. It is a wonderful truth that the greatest doubters from often become the strongest believers. An honest doubt, once resolved, often become the bedrock of an unshakable faith. It has been said that no truth is so strongly believed as that which, once, which you once doubted. No truth is so strongly believed as that which you once doubted. We now realize that Thomas is, at this point, acting on his faith and not on his doubt. Let the church say amen. Because from now on, you can do the same. You can act on your faith rather than your doubts. Act on your faith, my friends, rather than your doubt, because many in the scripture did it. Do you want me to give you some examples? You know, that's what Noah did when he built the ark. He acted on his faith rather than his doubt. That's what Abraham did when he left all of the Chaldees. That's what Abraham did when he offered Isaac as a sacrifice, acting on his faith rather than his doubt. That's what Moses did when he marched through the Red Sea on dry ground. That's what David did when he was in front of Goliath. He acted on his faith rather than his doubt. That's what Joshua did when he marched around the city of Jericho. That's what Daniel did when he was thrown into the lion's den. He acted on his faith rather than his doubt. That's what Rahab the prostitute did when she hid two spies from the land of Israel. That's what Mary did when the angel told her about the birth of Jesus Christ. Acting on your faith rather than your doubts. Many have done it. Don't you think that all of these great people of faith have their doubts? They did, my friends. Of course, they did. They didn't know in advance how everything was going to come out. They didn't. They didn't know in advance how everything is going to come out, but they took a deep breath, decided, decided, decided to trust God. And they acted on their faith and not on their doubts. The challenge for you today and always is for you to act on your faith rather than your doubts and to see your faith grow stronger and stronger every day. We all have doubts. But if you trust God, my friends, your faith will grow stronger and stronger. Don't tell me you don't doubt. Because I will believe you 99.9%. Tell me you have a faith. And tell me you want your faith to grow. And then I will say to you, trust God. Amen? Amen? Trust God. And you can say to him one day, you are indeed my God and my Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go out to trust God. Act on your faith rather than your doubts. And God, God's people say, Amen. Amen.